Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back this week as we try to find some answers to your questions. And that's what we do on this program. This is a Bible study program. Uh, we're a little different than most religious TV programs. Uh, we let you direct the program. We let you tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. And that's what we talk about. So it's different every week. It's uh, We try to keep our answers short and quick so we can get as many in as possible. And if you pay attention, uh, you'll learn a little bit about the Bible. And if you uh, take us up on our offer to study the Bible at home, which we'll talk about in just a few moments, you can learn a whole lot about the Bible using Know Your Bible study tools. So stay tuned and uh, participate. The phone number is on the screen. The website is on the screen. You can use either of those to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. If you've got a question, something you've always wondered about the Bible, or maybe something going on in your life that you wonder, what's the Bible have to say about that? We'll try to find you an answer. So give us a call or log on and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Let me introduce my partner, Toby Levering, here. He's ready to go, I think. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Studied up and ready to go here. Yep, Good. I'm ready to go. All right. Uh, let's see. We always start with a trivia question, don't we? The first question for our viewing audience, see if you know this, is the queen of which land uh, visited Solomon? Some queen visited Solomon because he was so famous. And we'll talk about, uh, give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Uh, I think Toby drew the first one. So yes. Got a directional and, question. Right. The viewer wants to know, where does it say you have to go through Christ to get to God? Well, it's a very good question, and the Scripture answers it very directly. Let's look at several places together. We'll start in the book of John, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And to me, that's about as direct as one can get. Uh, then in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, Peter is preaching, and he says, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then Paul, talk, uh, writing to the young Timothy, says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. I think Scripture is just as clear as it can possibly be that Jesus is the only way to God. And I know that's not popular or politically correct, uh, but Jesus was, if anything, not a politically correct kind of guy, and nor are his followers, I might add. So, good question, and uh, Scripture is very clear on that. Yep, that's an easy one. Yeah. Scripture will answer right <laughs> off the bat pretty easy. Uh, the next one isn't quite as easy, but I can give you my opinion on it, I think. If you want to know, is Luke chapter 16. 
verses 19 to 31. <clears throat> it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus, by the way. Uh, is that a parable or is it a true picture of life after death? All right, uh, we've talked about this before. Is, is that story a parable or did it really happen? Is it true picture? Uh, I decided maybe I could find a picture of rich man and Lazarus to illustrate. And one of the things that came up when I Googled for an image was this. Uh, and it's a, it's a storybook, I guess. Uh, but notice it says, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16 exactly what our viewer asked about. So whoever wrote this book decided, well, this is a parable. And they called it a parable. Uh, some people don't believe it's a parable, and I'm one of those that don't think it was a parable. But so for those of you that don't know the story, let's review it a little bit. Uh, the story is about a rich man, and I did find a picture of them here. Uh, of course, I'm not sure that's what they looked like, but it's a, a painting of it, the story anyway. Uh, the rich man who had everything he wanted, he lived high high and mighty, and outside his villa was a beggar named Lazarus, and the, he was so bad off the dogs licked his sores, and he got by on just the crumbs that fell off of the rich man's table. So that's the story Jesus told, and then Jesus said they both died. And that's where the story gets interesting, uh, because they both died, and they went to two very different places. And here's an illustration I found of the two different places from a children's book. Uh, the rich man was in torment. And he was so bad off down there that he wished he could just get one drop of water on his tongue and he would have been much, much happier. Uh, he was obviously in the bad place. And then it says that the beggar, Lazarus, was in Abraham's bosom. He was being comforted. He was in a place of uh, paradise, we might call it. So <clears throat> that's the story that Jesus told. His, his point was that people that have it great on earth uh, don't do the right things are going to end up in a bad place. And those that have a hard old life but do the right things are going to end up in a good place. <clears throat> so people wonder, is that a parable or not? The reason I don't think it's a parable is because Jesus named people in this story. And in no parable did he ever do that. <clears throat> in parables, he just says, there was a man, uh, there was a rich man, there was a Pharisee, there was a tax collector. <clears throat> he never identifies them. Uh, but this one he told seemingly like a true story. Uh, I believe there was a real rich man and a real beggar named Lazarus, and they had died, and God knew, or Jesus knew what happened to them. <clears throat> Uh, so, I don't think it's a parable, but that's not the point. That's not the problem here, is we can't discount it just because it's a parable. Uh, if it's a parable, it doesn't mean it's not true teaching. You see, when Jesus told parables, He was illustrating truth. <coughs> Excuse me, got connection there. He was illustrating something that is true. So, if it's a parable, we can't just discount it and say, well, we don't have to believe that. No, he was telling the truth, uh, even if he's illustrating it in some other way. Now, exactly what the afterlife's going to be like, uh, we may not know exactly, but it's going to be like this. There's going to be a place of torment. There's going to be a place of, of joy and paradise. And there's going to be a separation between them, and you can't go over once you're there. So, all of those are true things. Uh, so, it really doesn't matter if it's a parable or not. Jesus was teaching the truth. He was telling us what the afterlife is going to be like. 
And uh, when we get there, we can look around and see if there's a guy named Lazarus and <laughs> ask him, was that a true story or not? Uh, but for right now, let's just accept it as truth and worry about going to the right place instead of the wrong place. Right. All right. Not a parable, but doesn't matter. Yeah, I think your point is exactly <laughs> right. You just got to take the lesson and and uh, and and hear the truth that Jesus was teaching and pay attention to that. <laughs> All right, our viewer has another question. They ask, if God is such a loving God, how could He let His Son be sacrificed? And I detect a sense of passive aggressiveness in this question, but maybe not. Hard to know how in what sentiment the question was asked. But I think. I understand as a parent myself, I can't imagine uh, the overwhelming uh, sense of emotion it would be to have a, a child that was uh, killed tragically or, or something would happen to that child. That would just crush you in so many ways because they're your own flesh and blood. You love them deeply. Uh, you want what's best for them. You have great hopes for them. And, and uh, your, your goal is, uh, I mean, the, the natural order of things is that uh, they go to your funeral, not you go to theirs. But that's not the way life works. And we look at the story of Scripture and we think, how could God allow His Son to not just die, I mean, to die a very horrific and tragic uh, death uh, that, that from a human standpoint was very unjust. And from, from our standpoint, this doesn't look loving at all. But my answer to the question is it because he loved us and because he loved us deeply is exactly why he was able to do that. Uh, there's not the verse on the screen, but Mark chapter 15 verse 33 and 34 records this. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you understand that as a child calling out to the Father, uh, that breaks your heart. Jesus referred to God as Abba, which is a very affectionate, endearing term that Jewish children would use for their father. And so it, it does. It breaks the heart uh, because sin breaks the heart of God. And because he loved us deeply, he knew there was only one way out of it that could satisfy his, just, his need for perfect justice and atonement and yet his, his overwhelming desire to have mercy. And, and it's very hard to put those two things together from our perspective, but God planned this before the beginning of the world because he knew we would choose to disobey, to rebel, and he had to find a way to redeem us. And so this is uh, the plan, and Jesus willingly laid down his life uh, to make the plan work and to pay for our sins with his blood. Now let's look at a verse from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And it, it is a heartbreaking story, but it's a beautiful story, and it's our only hope. Alrighty, thank you, Toby. I was thinking as you were answering that, that it's funny how we, from a human perspective, uh, take something and just completely flip yeah. what God says. <laughs> yeah. uh, this viewer said, if God's such a loving God, 
how could he let his son be sacrificed? John 3.16 says, because God is such a right, loving God, right. he let his son be sacrificed. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that's yeah. the point. Yeah. He was such a loving God. Yeah. He so loved the world yeah. that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. When uh, you think about someone <laughs> letting, uh, Scripture says, greater love is no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Now, now think how much further it is for someone to lay down their own child's life yeah. for your for you. I mean, that's deep, deep love. Yeah, and that's the point. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's just hard for us to comprehend. Oh, man. It's uh, it's incomprehensible <laughs> love. All right, let me take just a moment and invite you to study the Bible on your own. We enjoy answering questions here and trying to. Uh, clear up as many questions as we can each week, but we've got a good way to, uh, we got some free Bible study materials. That's a great way to study the Bible, and we make them to you, available to you absolutely free of charge. We even pay the postage. It'll cost you nothing but a little bit of time and a little bit of effort, uh, and that'll pay off because you'll learn a whole lot about your Bible. You see a lesson series on the screen now. This is what we start with. Uh, this is our introductory course. There are eight lessons in it, and it's a good way to get familiar with your Bible. starts with the very basics. Uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament are the first two lessons there. Uh, helps you understand that. What are the two big divisions in the Bible, and why are they different? And then from there it goes into some other topics and helps you understand a good overview of your Bible. It's not a, uh, tied to any denominational doctrine or creed or anything. It's just a good basic Bible study good way to uh, form a regular habit of Bible study too. You get used to these eight lessons and then we've got some more advanced courses that can keep you studying and uh, learning a lot about the Bible with Know Your Bible Study material. So call the number or log on to the website so you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you. All right, viewers called in and uh, hadn't asked a question but made a comment. We appreciate that. Uh, viewer says, your program is good and informative. We like that part. <laughs> but, he says, you still need to make it clear that this is your interpretation of Scripture and that you're not speaking for God. All right, interesting comment there. Uh, let me say, first of all, that uh, I hope we never come across as arrogant or uh, come across saying that you better listen to what we say because we're God's special representative somehow. Uh, in fact, we kind of go out of our way to tell you, always check what we say. Uh, we put up scriptures on the screen. We make sure you see the scripture itself from the Holy Bible. And when we put those up, we are speaking for God because those are His direct words. Uh, but I hope we never come across as presenting our opinions as the only possible answer. And uh, I think we usually tell you when it's our opinion. In fact, that last one I noticed when I was talking about whether the story is a parable or not, yep. I said my opinion is that it's not a parable. It was a true story. Uh, but I don't think it's going to affect your eternal destiny if you decide that maybe it was a parable. Uh, so that's in a matter of opinion. But uh, I hope we don't come across like some religious TV programs do, and I've watched a lot of them, uh, where the person, the, the, the star of the show, uh, says things like, God told me to tell you, uh, and it usually goes on to say, send some money to this address, uh, but God doesn't tell us to tell you things like that, but He does have the Holy Bible, and we believe it is God's Word, we believe it is the actual Word of God, and we are very serious about trying to present it in the right way. 
Uh, let me show you a verse from 1 Peter 4, and this is pretty much our guideline. Peter said, each one should use whatever spiritual gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very word of God. All right. So we've been given a gift, a blessing to be on TV. Uh, we've been given the gift and blessing to be able to speak uh, to thousands of people about the Bible. And when we do that, uh, we want to make sure we're getting the Word of God across. We want to speak as it's the very Word of God. Not that we're perfect. Always check what we say. Uh, if you think it's our opinion, look up the Scripture. The Bereans were more noble than anybody else because even after Paul preached, they went home and studied the Scriptures to make sure he was telling them truth. So check us out. Uh, we get a lot of questions where people call in and say, I think you were wrong on that, or uh, I, don't, I didn't get what you said on this. We love those kind of yeah. things. We love trying to clear it up and help you understand what we meant. Uh, so I appreciate our viewers' uh, concern that we don't come across that way, and I hope we never do. I uh, hope we always present the Word of God faithfully and let you know when it's our opinion. Well, and as the program uh, title suggests, <laughs> you know, this is about knowing your Bible, and so I think... Uh, comparatively, we do better than most, not to toot our own <laughs> horn, but, you know, trying to get back to Scripture. And there are many times people ask a question about a verse or verses I've never thought about before, and I really have to dig. Um, or there are, you know, times when people uh, think the verse is in there, and we just point out the verse very simply and, just, you know, show what it says. And I yeah. think that's the best interpretation of scripture if you will is just scripture itself yeah. so and sometimes we even say we don't know yeah <laughs> that's yep. that's something that the bible just doesn't right. talk about so right. we don't know so yep. but appreciate the input and we'll try to make sure we <laughs> we stay humble here all right toby take the next one yes the viewer wants to know in the beginning god said let us make man in our image who was he talking to and in what image okay well let's look at the verse directly uh speaking of looking at scripture genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is where this phrase is found in the creation. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Well, the, the, the first thing you notice here is that there is a plurality in the word us and our and in, even in the original language, the word for God, Elohim, is a plural word. And so there's this idea from the very beginning of Scripture that God is this plurality, uh, which we call the Trinity. That's not a word used in Scripture, but it simply means three. And it's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they work in tandem together. Uh, and they work as one. They are one God, but they have three distinct personalities. And so that's what the us is, is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy uh, uh, Spirit. And so the designation is also, uh, us is not just found in Genesis chapter 1, it's also found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 7, let us do this, let us and so we understand that what happened from the beginning was not just a work of God the Father, but also Jesus the Son and His Holy Spirit. The second question is, uh, in what image? Okay, Jesus said in John chapter 4, 
uh, verse 24, that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus was saying God is not a physical being as we imagine him. Some people imagine that you know, he has a shape like us and that's not true or he has a certain color of skin or eye color. No, none of that's true. The image is talking about the eternal uh, part of God and that's the, the eternal part of man. There's part of us that goes beyond our physical body. That's the eternal soul. Uh, and so that's the in our image that's unlike any other part of creation. So I hope that helps. All righty, thank you. Uh, got an interesting one here. Another comment, and not a question, but a viewer says, "When Jesus fed the five thousand, it wasn't a miracle. Uh, the disciples gathered food from all who had some and shared it with those who didn't. It only seemed like a miracle." Well, interesting take. And when I read that question, I thought, "Boy, I better re reread the story and see where this person got this," because I always thought it was really a miracle. So I got my Bible out and I found out that the Scripture is uh, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is actually in all four Gospels. You can read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I sat down and read all four stories from start to finish. And my conclusion was this viewer hasn't read the Bible. Uh, this viewer hasn't read the stories. He's trusting some hearsay. Somebody told him this, uh, that it wasn't really a miracle, and he hasn't taken the time to sit down and read it, because if you read the four accounts, uh, you can't come up with the conclusion that he did. So, let's look at one part of the story and from Matthew, Matthew 14, uh, verses 18 through 21. Now, understand this situation. These people had started following Jesus the day before. They had come out and listened to Him and then they followed Him longer than they thought they would. And they hadn't brought any food with them to last that long. Uh, so Jesus said, see if we got any food. And the apostles went and they came back with one little boy had five loaves and two fishes. And He said, this is it. So Jesus said, bring them here to Me. And He directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he gave thanks, and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate. They were satisfied. And the disciple picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So Jesus multiplied uh, the, what He had, the five loaves and the two fishes. It was a miracle. Uh, everybody thought it was a miracle. That's why the people followed Him and kept following Him. Uh, so our viewers obviously heard some hearsay that trying to disprove this miracle at least. Uh, but let me just point out something. Let's assume that this wasn't a miracle. Uh, let's just be generous and throw it out and say, okay, he didn't really feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. What do you do with all the other miracles? You see, there's, they didn't doesn't hang on just one. In fact, all the other ones put together, the Pharisees and those that hated Jesus said about them, we can't deny it. He's doing miracles. Uh, he's done an undeniable miracle. So we just got to kill him because he's doing miracles. Uh, so. Uh, even trying to disprove one doesn't make any difference to the big story, the big picture. Jesus did miracles and people believed He was the Son of God because of it. And John wrote his book and said, you read these stories, you'll know He was the Son of God. Yeah. So, it was a miracle. And John, he goes on to say that the crowd followed Him and they, they wanted 
you know, basically to, to make this guy king. And he said, you followed me because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Yeah. Well, if they already had the food with him, what, what kind of sense would that make? I mean, yeah. it, it was clear that, that they, you know, that Jesus had done, had done something supernatural and extraordinary yep. on, on that uh, All right, on that read day. your Bible. Let me take okay. this moment and invite folks to visit the Church of Christ near them. We're kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we like to mention one or two each week. Today, let me talk about the Great Bend Church of Christ. It's on Stone Street out there. Uh, Chuck Marshall's the minister. I know you'd enjoy meeting him and hearing him preach the Word of God, 9 a.m. for Bible class. 9.50 they meet for worship. So if you live in the Great Bend area, stop in and visit Chuck and the other uh, Christians there at the Great Bend Church of Christ. I know that uh, you'd be warmly welcomed. All right, we got a clean animal question, yes, Toby. Yes, if you were asked the question, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 2, why did God command seven pairs of clean animals? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 2 to start. And God says to Noah, take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. <clears throat> the extra pairs of clean animals uh, were for the sacrifice that God commanded. And we know this as we look at later in the story at Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 22. After they come out of the ark, we have this verse on the screen, and it says... Um, uh, there then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And so that's what was the purpose was for the sacrifice that Noah had to made. All right. To make. <laughs> Thank you. A uh, question about Bathsheba. A viewer wants to know, did Bathsheba have a choice about being with David? The story just says that David looked over the wall and saw Bathsheba and uh, sent somebody to get her and brought her to the palace and they had sex. A uh, viewer wants to know, was she complicit in this perhaps? Uh, and we don't know. What the, the Bible just doesn't tell us that. Uh, of course the answer is, yes, she had a choice. You've always got a choice. It might have been difficult. Uh, I can see we're a common <clears throat> commoner that uh, just married to a soldier. Uh, if the king sends for you, it would yeah. probably be kind of tough to say no. But she could have said no. Uh, and there are tough situations today where men and women both have to say, no, I'm not going to participate in that. Uh, Bathsheba could have said, no, I love my husband and you're the king and you ought to know better. Uh, he might have had her imprisoned or killed or whatever, but she did have a, a choice in that sense. Whether she was complicit or went along with it uh, willfully or anything, we have absolutely no idea. Uh, just the fact that David called for her and they entered into a bad relationship. So that's what we know about that. We're out of time for questions, but uh, let me uh, invite you to be back with us next week as we try to cover some more of your your questions. And we oh, we get so many good ones. We just, yeah. We've been on over 26 years, and we just keep getting new ones. So we appreciate your participation with us on Know Your Bible. I'm amazed at the number of ways in which people ask those questions <laughs> and, you know, things that still you think, wow, I never thought of it that way. Well, we've got a lot of people that are reading the Scriptures and, and learning as they go. And yeah. They come up with things that we Some, hadn't thought about. Sometimes someday. they just read something, and we've read it too, but we just never, <laughs> never pause to think about it. That's one proof that it's God's book. There's so much more in there than 
we, we couldn't do a program for more than six months about any of man's books <laughs> because right. you'd cover everything eventually. <laughs> All right, we're out of time. Uh, let me make sure we get our trivia question answered. I about forgot that. I asked uh, which queen, queen of which land, visited Solomon? And if you read the Bible, you find out she was from Sheba. Uh, which is somewhere down in Africa, people believe, maybe Ethiopia or somewhere like that. The Queen of Sheba came to see Solomon because he was so famous and so rich. We're glad you've been with us today. We'll invite you to be back with us next week for some more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.